I'm going to be reading from Luke chapter 14, verses 1 to 14, and it's on page 897 of the Bibles in the pews. One Sabbath, when Jesus went to eat in the house of a prominent Pharisee, he was being carefully watched. There in front of him was a man suffering from abnormal swelling of his body. Jesus asked the Pharisees and experts in the law, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath or not? But they remained silent. So taking hold of the man, he healed him and sent him on his way. Then he asked them, if one of you had a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? And they had nothing to say. When he noticed how the guests picked the places of honour at the table, he told them this parable. When someone invites you to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honour. For a person more distinguished than you may have been invited. If so, the host who invited both of you will come and say to you, give this person your seat. Then, humiliated, you'll have to take the least important place. But when you are invited, take the lowest place so that when your host comes, he will say to you, friend, move up to a better place then you will be honoured in the presence of all the other guests. For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. Then Jesus said to his host, When you give a luncheon or dinner, do not invite your friends, your brothers or sisters, your relatives or your rich neighbours. If you do, they may invite you back, and so you will be repaid. But when you give a banquet, invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed. Although they cannot repay you, you will be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. When one of those at the table with him heard this, he said to Jesus, Blessed is the one who will eat at the feast in the kingdom of God. Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first said, I've just brought a field and I must go and see it. Please excuse me. Another said, I've just brought five yokes of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. Please excuse me. Still another said, I just got married, so I can't come. The servant came back and reported this to his master. Then the owner of the house became angry and ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets and alleys of the town and bring in the poor, the crippled, the blind, and the lame. Sir, the servant said, what you have ordered has been done, but there is still room. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes and compel them to come in, so that my house will be full. 
I tell you, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. Large crowds were traveling with Jesus. And turning to them, he said, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. And whoever does not carry their cross and follow me cannot be my disciple. Suppose one of you wants to build a tower. Won't you first sit down and estimate the cost to see if you have enough money to complete it? For if you lay the foundation and are not able to finish it, everyone who sees it will ridicule you, saying, this person began to build and wasn't able to finish. Or suppose a king is about to go to war against another king. Won't he first sit down and consider whether he is able with 10,000 men to oppose one coming against him with 20,000? If he is not able, he will send a delegation to the other when he's still a long way off and will ask for terms of peace. In the same way, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciples. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is fit for neither the soil nor the manure pile. It is thrown out. Whoever has ears to hear, let them hear. This is the word of the Lord. Good evening, everyone, and let me add my welcome. Uh, My name's Ed. I'm the congregational pastor here at 7 p.m. It's a special night for me. Uh, I've got my mother and father here, so I feel like I'm back at high school where my parents came to watch my sports games. So (laughs) nice to have you, Mum and Dad. Tonight we're thinking about parties. It's nothing like being invited to a great party. All throughout the Bible, God says that heaven is like a party. Everyone, you, are invited. Let me tell you about how three people near and dear to me have responded to the invitation they've got from God. Change their names in case you know them. The first is Rachel. Rachel grew up in a Christian home. Rachel went along to church every Sunday. She went to one of those schools where you have a chapel and chaplaincy and and Christian studies, every opportunity was laid before Rachel. But these days she goes to church whenever it's convenient. And if you try and ask her, do you have a relationship with the God of heaven? You just can't pin her down. Next would be Lockie. Uh, Lockie, through the influence of some of his friends in his high schooling, uh, he accepted God's invitation. He got baptized and he made a commitment to follow Jesus. But as the years rolled on for Lockie, the little choices started to get the better of him. And eventually he met Gina. And Gina didn't share Lockie's belief in God. Lockie and Gina got married. And now Lockie only goes to church whenever Gina wants to. Gina doesn't really want to go to church that often, so Lockie's never there. And they've got a lovely life down in Manly, beautiful family. But 
bringing up God around Lockie is now taboo. The last person will be Julie. I don't actually need to change Julie's name. Some of you might know. Julie is a resident of our local community. She lives down in the Greenway Housing Commission. But this year, she decided she'd start coming to church. And this year, she took hold of God's invitation. And you'll often find her down the front of church in one of our services, not just singing, but shouting God's praises because it is so good to have a seat at God's banquet. If Julie hasn't invited you yet, you probably get an invite if you bump into her sometime throughout the week. She's getting baptized next Sunday down in the harbor at 12.30, and she is over the moon. There's nothing better, no better feeling than knowing you've got a seat at God's banquet in heaven. There's some invitations that you get in life that don't really count for that much. This week, I was invited to Linen Lover's Day. Uh, Adairs is having Linen Lover's Day on Thursday. I don't know if that's any relevance to you. It's not super relevant to me. uh, And I probably won't attend, nor will I RSVP. But when the God of heaven comes to earth and brings you an invitation and says, Will you come to my banquet in heaven? You must respond. Today, as we turn to God's word, Jesus is going to warn and he's going to say, If you've not RSVP'd, today is a great day to do that. And we're actually going to have a chance in our service tonight where you can accept God's invitation. If you're someone who has accepted that invitation, Jesus, in God's word, he's going to warn you. He's going to say, make sure you've really got a seat. Make sure if you've got a seat, you don't lose it. Make sure you go all the way. So let's turn to God's word. We're in Luke chapter 14. It's on... Uh, page 897, and, uh, and the context here is that Jesus is at a uh, post-synagogue Sabbath day's lunch with the religious leaders uh, of the, the place where he was at. Uh, whenever Jesus hangs out with the super-religious, things are uncomfortable. Tensions are high, and the tensions were particularly high this day because Jesus has just performed a healing on a man which the Pharisees saw was unlawful to do on the, habit, on the Sabbath. And then to sort of add a bit more heat to the room, Jesus looked around and started rebuking them because they've all chosen the best seats in the house. We're just going to focus today on Jesus' parable of the great banquet and his teachings on counting the cost. But it's important to know that this section of Luke's gospel that we're in, it all flows out of a question someone came to Jesus and asked him. In chapter 13, verse 23, take a look at it with me. Verse 23, someone asked Jesus, Lord, are only a few people going to be saved? It's the most important question you could ever ask. Who is going to be saved by God and how can I make sure that I'm among them? Well, the Pharisees, these religious guys, were definitely going to be amongst them. At least that's what they thought, as is evidenced when one of them pipes up in chapter 14, verse 15. Uh, he, he tries to sort of break the edge in the room and, and take the, that, that nervous energy out of the air. He says, blessed is the one who will eat at the feast of the kingdom of God. It's as if he's saying, Jesus, 
won't it be good when we've got through all these differences and we're all together in heaven? You see, the, the Jews had always held that heaven would be a great banquet, a feast. Not a feast of delightful Middle Eastern food, though that would be quite nice for eternity, just eating Middle Eastern food, but a feast of all of God's blessings, the very best things that God can give you, a a removal of the things that are wrong and a giving of everything that's good. So the prophet Isaiah, he spoke to God's people and he told them that this feast, this banquet of heaven would be an end of death, a wiping away of all tears a removal of disgrace and a taking away of everything that has gone wrong or could go wrong so that we'll be left to enjoy all of God's unrestrained blessings. Well, Jesus, who was never afraid to be politically incorrect, he responded to this sort of pious Pharisee by saying, are you sure you're going to be there? He says this you and I tonight. And he does it by telling this story about the man who hosted the great banquet. The illusions are really obvious and instant. The man is God, the banquet is the kingdom of heaven, and the many people who've been invited are the people of God. Everyone's welcome. Well, invitations in Jesus' day were twofold. When a great banquet was being held, the first invitation would come out, the embossed envelope with the Lovely wax seal, and you'd open it up. Oh, it's that lovely banquet on the 10th of November. Put that in the diary, and I'll pop this up on the fridge so that everyone who comes over knows I'm invited to the important party. And then the second invitation would come uh, when the banquet was ready. Verse 17, the, the master would send out the servant, and he'd say to those who'd been invited, Come, everything's now ready. To reject the invitation at this point is the absolute height of rudeness. It would be like going to someone's wedding and between the wedding ceremony and the reception, sending through a text saying, sorry to let you know, something else has come up, a better option, someone else wants to hang out. It would be unforgivable in Middle Eastern culture, but that's exactly what they all did. Verse 18, they all alike began to make excuses. We've got a sample of some of the things they said. Verse 18, the first said, I've just bought a field. I must go make a, a post-purchase property inspection. Uh, he says to the servant, look, please forgive me, but you must understand, business comes before pleasure. Uh, please send my most sincere apologies to your master. Uh, unfortunately, I'm just not going to be able to be there tonight. You know, how did this happen? Where did this guy go wrong? He... he He'd said he was coming, he'd RSVP'd, he'd taken the first invite. Well, maybe just that that dream property had become available. That once-in-a-lifetime business opportunity had just fallen into his lap and he would just be crazy to miss out on this. And how many people do you and I know for whom these once-in-a-lifetime opportunities have been the catalyst causing them to just let go of that invitation. The, the mortgage of the dream home that so squeezes your life that every single decision has to be made by its financial costs or benefits. The, the, the business opportunity that's going to 
consume all your time, all your energy, so that you won't even have time to meet with God's people or maybe you don't even have time to talk to God in each day. The secondment that will take you away for three months, the, the special once-in-a-lifetime opportunity in, in sport or drama or art or something to, that's just going to mean one in every three weeks at church. All these little decisions that slowly erode our, our, our hold, our grasp on the invitation God gives us. And we'd never say it with our mouth, but we scream it with our lies. We say to God, please excuse me, God, but opportunity must come first. Another said in verse 19, uh, well, I've just bought a five yoke of oxen and I'm on my way to try them out. That's impressive horsepower there. It's the kind of ancient Palestinian equivalent of the V8 Commodore. You know, this is real rush. This is exciting. Got to go test it out. I don't know if cars are a thing. Maybe it's just business opportunity. Trips overseas and fine dining with networking and, and opportunities. Maybe it's the pleasures that work brings. The, the new car, the, the new iPhone, the, work, uh, the, the, the weekends away with, with girlfriends, the, the holiday house down the coast. We say to God, please excuse me, God, but pleasure must come first. Still another says, uh, I just got married and so obviously I can't, can't make it anymore. Well, I've got to cut this guy a bit of slack. New, newlyweds know that it's difficult to sort of come to terms with being married and, and uh, the adjustments you need to make. But he did know that he was going. He'd, he'd put the date down, accepted the first invitation. But maybe, you know, the wife was just saying, oh, what, do we really have to go out tonight? Can we just watch a DVD and hang out on the couch, stay in our pyjamas. You know. Well, you know, what Jesus is exposing here is there's nothing wrong with, with relationships, there's nothing wrong with opportunity, there's nothing wrong with pleasure. What Jesus is exposing here is what comes first. Jesus told this parable to show that if God is not first in your heart, then you don't have a seat at his banquet. And uh, verse 21, these excuses, they all amount to becoming pretty lame. And they, they anger the, the, the dinner host. You know, at the end of the day, the, the man who newly wed, well, he could have just had one night out. The man with the oxen could have tried them the next day. The man with the field, nothing would have changed between this day and the next. But these responses, well, they rightly enrage the banquet owner because he can see straight through them. Lovely manners, best intentions... A good start, well, they all amount to nothing before God because what God wants is bums on seats at his banquet in heaven. He doesn't want you to talk a big game. He just wants you to accept the invitation and to turn up. And I wouldn't blame you, though, for starting to think with all these seemingly pathetic invitations that maybe the banquet wasn't that good. Maybe, you know, it wasn't all that it's made up to be. But let me just remind you what the Bible says about how good heaven will be. The Bible says that the banquet of heaven will be the removal of all that is wrong with you and me and our world and the outpouring of all of God's blessings and goodness. And so these bushfires that are ravaging our east coast, they will be gone. The drought that's destroying farmers' lives, it will never happen again. 
You know when you go to paradise and you're up in far north Queensland and the water is crystal blue and you just want to dive in but you can't because there's irukandji in the water. Well, paradise will be restored. You know when your body just sucks and you hate being in it because your, your joints hurt or you're sick or you, you just have long-term unending illness, you will be fixed. God will give you a new body. He will restore you, renew you, make you perfected and immortal. Remember the last time you locked yourself out of your house, how annoying that was? It'll never happen again. No keys. We don't need locks because no one will break in. There's no insurance. There's no debt. There's no living in fear ever, ever again. There is no cancer. There's no suffering, no crying, no mourning, no pain. It is all gone. The last time you had an argument with someone that, that you loved, it won't happen. Because God will remove all that is sinful in you, all that is selfish, all that makes for you to be misunderstood or misrepresented. God will do away with it all. And he'll do that by taking everything that's wrong with me and with you, with our world, and he'll put it all on Jesus. You and I know that Jesus in Luke's gospel has set his eyes for Jerusalem. We know that he's going to Jerusalem, and when he gets there, he knows that he will die. He will be treated as if personally responsible for all the mistakes, for all the intentional wrongs, the bad thoughts, bad actions, uh, misgivings and the things that you failed to do. All of that will be poured out upon Jesus and he will be killed and crushed as a condemned criminal so that you and I can be treated by God as a blessed banquet guest. That's what God did for you because he loves you and he wants you to come. You know when you get invited to a wedding and uh, I don't know if you do this, I probably shouldn't do it, but I sort of try and give my gift in response to how uh, wonderful or how, how generous the, the hosts are being. So I got married at Terry Hills Golf Club. So you know if you're going to give a gift off the register, you'd probably pick the toaster, that kind of thing. But it, if someone gets married at the Hyatt, well... You get the Dyson vacuum cleaner, you know, you go all out for them. But there is nothing that you could give in response to the abundant blessing that God wants to pour out on you at his banquet in the kingdom of heaven. Nothing you could pay back to him. He, it cost him everything to give it to you. All he wants you to do is accept the invitation and come. And that's exactly what the poor, the crippled, the lame, the blind were doing. Take a look in verse 21. The, servant, uh, the master of the house was angry, so he ordered his servant, go out quickly into the streets, the alleys, all of the town, bring in the poor, bring in the crippled, bring in the blind, bring in the lame. Bring them all in. And did you notice how easy it was? Verse 22, so what you've ordered has been done. No excuses. They didn't get the first invite, but they're there in a flash because they know how good it is. They know it's too good to be true. And I hope that you know that about the less fortunate people in our world. James 2 verse 5 says, Hasn't God chosen those who are poor in the eyes of the world to be rich in faith and inherit the kingdom? I remember arriving at my first ever national Christian university conference in Canberra. And I was bunked up with some guys from Newcastle University. These guys uh, looked like they hadn't seen the light of day in six months. 
Uh, they were wearing Christian slogan T-shirts, sandals on their feet, listening to music I thought was horribly embarrassing. And I thought, I'm not sure if I signed up for this. But from that day forward, I've come to see that accepting God into your life, that part of that is also accepting the people that God welcomes into his kingdom. Coming to God also means coming amongst the people that he's chosen. And he chooses people from all walks of life. But it's not like the, those who are outcast or outsiders in society are just you know, having a boring old time and God's twiddling his thumbs at the banquet. No, Jesus was having the time of his life with the needy because they were the ones who were thankful for everything, who loved it, who opened up their lives. They didn't have preconceived ideas or other priorities. They were just there. To, to throw themselves all in. Jesus said to the Pharisees, and he warned them, and he's warning you and I, don't miss out. Don't miss out. The party of heaven is going on without you. And if you're not going to accept the invitation, it will go elsewhere, and I will fill my house, says God. And the same today. God's kingdom, it's breaking into the present, and if you want to be part of it, come and take your place with this, God's church, God's people who is calling together, this is where God's kingdom is happening. And Jesus says, if you want to be part, come and take your place now in the kingdom amongst these people. But then with his last sentence, Jesus provides a very solemn warning. I imagine to myself, I wonder who of the guests there that day thought in verse 24 whether this was the master of the banquet or Jesus' warning here. He said, I tell you the truth, not one of those who were invited will get a taste of my banquet. You know, the best day to accept God's invitation is today. How many of you and I know people who had the invitation in their hands but thought, I'll just enjoy my teens. I'd want to keep an open mind in my 20s. I need to find a life partner, start a family in my 30s. I want to pay off some property. I want to establish my career. And where are they now? A million miles from God. The best day to accept God's invitation is today. But there will come a day where God's house is full, where the doors are closed, and no, good, uh, no, no amount of good intentions no amount of banging on the door or weeping before Jesus will get you in to his banquet because the doors will be shut. But that day is not today. Today is a day that you can still accept this invitation. But before you do, Jesus just has one last word of warning. He says, just make sure before you accept that you do count the cost. That's where we go over the page, just to verses 25 to 35. And I'm struck here by a comment Jesus made three times. Did you, did you spot it? Three times he said to people, you cannot be my disciple. He said, unless you are going to count the cost relationally, aspirationally, with everything you have, you cannot be my disciple. Now I imagine that you, like I, was quite shocked when you read that the man who's famous for teaching us how to love others said in verse 26, If anyone comes to me and does not hate father and mother, 
wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even their own life, such a person cannot be my disciple. Jesus was the one, wasn't he, who taught us how to love others, how to be sacrificial in our service of others. Uh, his disciple, Paul the Apostle, he, he was one of Jesus' most faithful disciples and he taught us that if we neglect the members of our own family, we've denied the faith. We're worse than an unbeliever. And yet Jesus here puts it in such strong language to say that unless he is so much your first love, unless Jesus is your absolute number one priority, you cannot be his disciple. And you know what? The people nearest and dearest to you in your life, as you show your commitment and allegiance to Jesus, sometimes they're going to feel like hate. They're going to feel like you hate them. And I've seen it in children who come to faith from backgrounds of other religions. And their family say to them, you're like dead to us. I've seen it in youth leaders who commit every Friday night and every Sunday afternoon to discipling youth. And they forgo family gatherings and they forgo important occasions because of this priority to invest in these youth. I see it in spouses who want to leave their Christian husband or wife because they're not the person they once married. I see it in families that are devastated as members of that family decide to relocate to dangerous parts of the world to join Jesus' mission on the other side of the earth. I've seen it in grandparents who continue to write cards and give gifts to grandchildren that that the grandchildren find offensive. I'm praying for you. Here's a verse. Here's a book I'd like you to read. It was never going to be easy following Jesus. And that's why he told us that it was a cross that we'd need to carry as we do. And I love this about Jesus, that he never asks you or I to do anything he hasn't done first. Remember that he took up a cross and went before us at Jerusalem and he calls us, to take up our cross and follow him too. <clears throat> Crucifixion's kind of lost its edge on us today. We, we're not familiar with it, but Jesus and his friends would have been. Crucifixion meant rejection. Uh, it, it meant that Rome wanted to get rid of you. Crucifixion meant suffering. We get the word excruciating from the word crucifixion. It was the height of pain and, and suffering. Crucifixion ultimately meant death. And so Jesus says, if you want to follow me, you need to be willing to die to yourself. You need to be willing to face rejection of being allegiant to me. And you need to be willing to suffer and endure hardship. Uh, I remember going along to Hillsong Church one night. If you've not been to Hillsong Church, uh, very often, almost weekly, there is an invitation to come and accept Jesus. It happens almost every week without fail. And sometimes it just feels like there's a good church news segment and then there's an altar call. And I asked my friend, well, what happens to the people who come down the front? My friend's very involved there. He said, well, we sit with them after church and we try and talk them out of the decision. We say to them, do you know what you signed up for? Are you aware that following Jesus will involve suffering? And hardship, it's a cross he's asked you to carry. 
Are you sure you're going to be able to go the distance? And I grew so much in my admiration for them because they get it. They get the call of Jesus. It is a hard road to follow. It's a costly. And that's exactly the point Jesus makes in these two little parables he points out. He speaks about the foolishness of undertaking a building project that you can't finish. Or, or the, the foolishness of going to war with 10,000 troops against 20,000. Jesus says that, uh, that it would be foolish to start this building project and not calculate the cost. And so too, he says, it would be foolish to start coming after me unless you know what it costs and you're willing to go all the way. Don't start the journey if you're not going to finish it. Jesus says it would just be a waste of time. Not only would it be a waste of time, but you'd become a laughingstock because the people who aren't Christian in your life would think that you just turned weird when you started. And the people who are Christian in your life would think that you're soft because you gave up following Jesus. You'd be like saltless salt. It's just useless. There's no purpose for it. Secondly, he warned, similarly, you wouldn't go to war with 10,000 troops if you were up against 20,000. And it's a double metaphor here because he's, he's saying that you, know, you want to make sure that you know what it costs before you engage. So don't go in if you don't know that you can do it. But similarly, he also points out that if you want to continue to stand opposed to God, that is, if you don't accept Jesus' invitation and, and you continue to be opposed to God or you haven't entered into his kingdom, Jesus gives a loving warning that you are outnumbered. You are outpowered by the God of heaven. You are 10,000 to 20,000. And it doesn't matter what witty answers you have, what intelligence you've formulated, what answers you've got, what good intentions you had, what connections you have, what power, none of it will stand up before the God of heaven. Because he says, that you need to know who you're up against. And if you know it, send for peace. Send a delegation and ask for peace. Make peace with your maker. Make it tonight. And you can know that you're safe. Jesus holds out both the carrot. He says there's a great banquet in front of you. But he also reminds you of the stick that there is danger remaining opposed to the God of heaven. So he comes to his last count in verse 33. In the same way, he says, those of you who do not give up everything you have cannot be my disciple. Jesus says, no matter what it is, it might be people, it might be property, it might be opportunity, it might be holidays, pleasures, possessions, no matter what it is, Jesus says, you have to let go of everything to take hold of him. It doesn't mean that you won't have anything. It just means that he has to come first. And so he says to you and to I, no matter who you are, you are invited. But count the cost and come, come and join the banquet. Come, it's here, it's now, it's amongst these people. This is where God's kingdom is breaking in and you are all invited to come and take your place at God's banquet in heaven. Jesus says to you, no more excuses. 
No more best intentions. Make sure you don't miss out. God is filling his house. Be there. Be amongst it. And all you have to do is reach out your hand and accept his invitation. To do that is really very simple. We're going to give us an opportunity to do that now. We're going to pray a prayer to God that just says, God, I want to take hold of your invitation. I'm going to pray that prayer out loud. And you can echo that prayer in your heart to God if you would like to pray that. This is a way of accepting God's invitation. We're just going to say, thank you, God. Thank you that I'm invited to the banquet. Thank you that Jesus took away my sin to give me a place. Sorry that I've sinned against you. Sorry I've rejected your invitation for all of these years. Please forgive me. Please help me to count the cost and follow Jesus. I'm going to pray that prayer. If you want to echo that in your heart to God, you can do that now. I'm going to give you a moment to be quiet before God. God of heaven, thank you that I am invited to your banquet. Thank you that Jesus took away my sin so that I could have a seat. Sorry for my sin. Sorry for the way I've rejected your invitation for all of these years. Please forgive me. Please help me to count the cost and to live from this day forward following Jesus. Amen. If you've echoed that prayer in your heart to God, we're going to spend the next couple of weeks looking at how Jesus teaches us and reminds us that not only this room but all of heaven is overjoy, rejoicing, celebrating, leaping and laughing for joy because you have become a disciple of Jesus. You have just passed from death to life. You've taken up your seat at God's banquet. It is the greatest thing, greatest decision you have ever made. And we want to celebrate that with you. Remember, it's not good intentions. It's actually doing it that makes it, that counts. So we're going to ask everyone in this building tonight to fill in this little invitation card if you've just accepted that invitation, we'd love to know so we can encourage you and celebrate with you. If you've accepted this invitation, maybe this year or years before, we want to know how you're counting the cost to follow Jesus so that we can use that in our prayers for you over the coming weeks. So we're going to give everyone the moment to listen to some music and fill out these cards. And then in the next song, we're going to pass some buckets around to collect them.